All right. Well, welcome to another episode of The Other Side of the Table. Today we're talking about something I've been trying to find someone to talk about for weeks. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, specifically in favor of the Black Lives Matter movement. We have my good friend Marin here, and she's going to be sharing her beliefs and opinions on the Black Lives Matter movement. So Marin, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and going ahead. Yeah, my name is Marin. Uh, I'm studying mechanical engineering. That's why I met Jake. Um, so thank you, Jake, for inviting me onto the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. And I just wanted to talk a little bit tonight about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and how important it is, because I feel that it's a cause that brings awareness to social injustice that's been in our country since basically the beginning. And it's a way to kind of push systemic change to correct a lot of these issues. So I think it's a really important movement and one that I hope more people are willing to listen to and get behind. Very good. Uh, I totally agree that there is a lot of injustice in America. Um, but I feel like the majority of the positions out there is that America as a whole is not systemically racist. So I'm curious, how do you kind of view the systemic change? Like what kind of systems need to be changed in America? Mm -hmm. I think I mean, right now the most prevalent, I guess, is um, the police forces. That's what is on the news a lot because we see all of these cop shootings um, of black men or mm -hmm. black women. And so there's been a lot of uproar about changing the police system so that it's not as, um, I guess, deadly uh, mm -hmm. to some of the people they're trying to apprehend. Um, so as far as doing that, I think besides uh, electing officials who find that important and have good plans, um, I think it's important to also be involved in your communities um, and trying to get a sense for, okay, what are our community um, policies for police uh, techniques as far as um, apprehending a suspect and things like that? Uh, why are we so quick to draw guns instead of tasers? Honestly, I've never shot either one, so maybe there is a valid reason that they're always going for their gun first, but mm -hmm. I feel like we wouldn't have so many deaths if they just are stopping people with tasers instead um, and that type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. As far as other areas of systemic racism, I think a lot of it, it just comes down to the economics um, and the huge wealth gap between whites and blacks in America, and mm -hmm. of course other minorities, but I think the biggest disparities between blacks and whites and that goes all the way back to slavery and then after slavery was abolished and we started moving forward there were all of these Jim Crow laws which um, made it really really difficult for blacks to catch up uh, financially um, in the US system mm -hmm. and um, so I think that's initially what or basically what's put us in this position today is um, black communities are at a severe disadvantage economically, educationally, um, because of our past history. And so right now, there's kind of this movement where people are saying, okay, this is not fair, things are wrong, things are need to, things need to change. And so um, I think we have a lot of momentum right now where we can um, start taking a look at how we can get these black communities and black neighborhoods um, 
kind of out of that vicious cycle that they've been in. Awesome. That is very well put. Yeah. I get, I can tell you put a lot of preparation into this. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about it a lot. Like, yeah, it's something I've been thinking about for quite, quite a while. I mean, that's good. That's, that's something that's very important is you need to think about these issues going on. And personally, there are, like, like you said, there are a lot of different layers to the Black Lives Matter, excuse me, Black Lives Matter movement. Like you talked about police brutality and kind of, um, kind of the justice that needs to be served there and then economic reform. And then going back and seeing is America as a system primarily pitted against um, African-Americans and black people. And so I kind of want to talk about each of these three because I feel like these are the three topics that everyone keeps bringing up. And I'm really curious to know kind of what you think. And so we'll start with the the police brutality. So personally, I have had conversations with a lot of police officers about the different shootings that have been going on. And the prime, so I'm, I'm from Southern California. It is a very wealthy part of America. And their police force is probably one of the best trained police forces in the United States. And so I I did not know this. I was just talking to Uh this Laguna Beach officer and he was just going on and on about how their training is very extensive. And granted, it's not longer than like, I think he said six months was the time, Uh, like Mm -hmm. four to six months. Um, But it's very extensive and it's trained and he basically shared his dismay about these officers, specifically in the George Floyd case, about their mm-hmm. total lack of protocol. Like, why would you be kneeling on his neck? Like, that's awful. You should never do that. There's so many other ways you can, like, hold someone. And, like, he was just going on and on about how if these officers were better trained, then it would have had a different outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I've always had this idea of if we were able to actually, instead of defunding the police, reallocating the funds to better training, to where they got better training and better, um, basically they're better equipped to deal with these situations, um, mm-hmm. then we would have different outcomes. But I'm curious, what, what would you think the ideal police reform would be? Um. Well, I, I agree with everything you just said, honestly. And I'm really happy to hear that you have been talking to police officers because I don't, I haven't had a lot of opportunities to talk um, with any cops and about mm-hmm. their perspective. So that's really cool. And I, I agree as far as what he said about the defunding the police is didn't seem to me to be a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, let's just kind of stop <laughs> funding them. Because <laughs> um, that wouldn't really solve the problem other than us having less, either less police officers or less well-trained police officers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I certainly think um, looking at the techniques that officers are using, um, looking at their first response to what they feel is a dangerous situation back to the, I don't know if he shared with anything with you as far as protocol with guns versus tasers? That's something I thought about a lot. I'm like, just yeah. use tasers. <laughs> um. <laughs> the, main, the main reason why, um, I mean, this is all his opinion, and I've kind of, from my understanding of what a taser is and what a gun is, um, the reason why tasers wouldn't be as effective, let's say I'm wearing like this hoodie or a thick winter coat, the taser's not mm-hmm. going to hit me. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and so the thickness of clothing affects a taser, whether or not both prongs, 
when a taser is fired, two wires are shot out with basically like a stingray type um, edge to it to where it sticks onto the clothes. And then the two wires create an electrical connection that floods the body with a current of electricity. That's kind of mm-hmm. what, how a taser works. Let's say only mm-hmm. one prong hits you. Taser's not going to work. Oh, okay. And um, while tasers can be very useful in close quarters, let's say a perpetrator has a knife or a gun and raises to shoot, Are you, just coming from the police officer's point of view, they have families, they have friends, and they have lives that they want to return to. And so mm-hmm. the second yeah, sure. that their life is threatened, they want their most effective tool. Okay. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So okay. that, that's like another perspective, but I don't know if... Mm-hmm. It, are there other ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think as far as techniques, it sounds like... Um, what I believe his name is Derek Chauvin. That was the, the police officer with the whole... The George Floyd kneeling in the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like he wasn't acting according to protocol. Mm-hmm. And so not just getting dangerous protocols out of the system or where we don't have any neck kneeling or don't have dangerous holds. Um, But also making sure your officers are undergoing training and sticking to that and not just Mm -hmm. kind of doing whatever they feel they want. Um, So, yeah, I I agree. Um, I'm not super well-versed in (laughs) cop techniques, so I can't put forward a lot of, like, way more ideas than that. But, yeah, that's I, I agree with you. So what would, I'm kind of trying to think of like, what would the police reform look like? Because like you said, like, I mean, I just talked about this in the last episode about gun control. It's like, we can make as many laws about gun control, but a criminal is going to try and get guns by any means necessary. And so Mm -hmm. gun control really, as much as it applies to criminals, it really only applies to the law-abiding citizen. So how do we kind of, vet the police force to make sure that they are doing the protocols, how to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Is to Mm -hmm. protect normal people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I think first it comes from um, us as citizens and demanding that there is reform so Mm -hmm. that our elected leaders are taking us seriously and saying, okay, we're going to think hard about this. We are going to, give this a shot. We are going to make a sincere effort to, uh, to go and change things. And then as far as making sure that takes place, um, I'm sure there, I, I personally, I feel just like community versus and state laws would be more effective than just an all out federal law. Although Mm -hmm. I'm sure that would help. Um, but I think a lot of it's going to come from, these smaller communities and taking the time to look at their own police forces, running the stats, saying, okay, like how many deaths do we have of black men versus um, white men? Is it proportional or is it disproportionate? And going through their own systems um, and trying to figure out uh, where the problems are. And then, um, yeah, as far as fixing it and vetting police police officers uh, to make sure they're doing the correct things. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know what they have in place already as far as uh, kind of like a end of the month report. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, um, what is it in business? Like a, like a quarterly report? Like a quarterly report type thing where yeah. they just kind of go and 
sit down with each officer and say, okay, like, these are complaints we've had against you. These, like, these are behavioral issues that we've had, or you've done this and this and this, or, hey, you've done really well at this. Congrats. Keep it up. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure entirely what it'll look like, but um, I think, yeah, having interviews with each officer um, on a regular basis or a, I don't know, monthly basis, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. uh, could be a, an effective way of looking at how they are um, following protocols, following regulations and techniques and, su- and such. I mean, yeah, I think that would be a very good way. I mean, that's how a lot of businesses go about their, um, I don't want to say weeding out process, but (laughs) just to kind of find the good and the bad of the company is they they Mm -hmm. kind of look at um, statistics on like who's performing well, who's not. And then by like harvesting complaints and compliments and all that, they kind of um, are able to find who has been working the hardest and who hasn't. And granted, those don't always paint the clearest picture, but I do feel like that is actually a really good place to start, honestly, because I feel like my my drawbacks of the Black Lives Matter movement is there are a lot of people who are just saying, defund the police, get rid of them. And I'm kind of like, oh, I don't want to deal with crazy people and criminals <laughs> every day of my life. Like, I don't want to get shot. Um, uh-huh. But I feel like your idea is very true is that like there does need to be change that needs to be made, but not everywhere should be changed in the same way, right? Like there's um, – you can do a lot more by rooting out racism where racism is instead of rooting out racism where there isn't. And so mm-hmm. yeah. kind of taking it case by case, city by city, and even state by state, you can actually – um, find a lot of the problems in the police department and in like in the management of the cities and states where the problems are taken out and that we can replace them with good systems and good people, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of segues into like the next point, which is like the economic disparity. Because um, from a lot of the people that are speaking out about the Black Lives Matter, okay, I, I keep messing up. <laughs> I'm so bad. The Black Lives Matter movement, (laughs) it's very difficult to say, Um, is that the economic disparity and the difference has been going on for ever since slavery. Mm. And so it begs the question on how. How has it lasted so long? Why do we think that it has? And like, what do we need to do to change it? So I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, what, what are your kind of thoughts? Like, how have black people been so oppressed economically Mm -hmm. throughout this time like how how has it happened or how are we seeing it well i'm just Um, it's basically like um to rephrase the question is like how do you feel economic disparity affects african-american and black families in america oh okay i see yeah um as far as the black lives matter movement specifically i think um economic disparity uh obviously leads to poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, like you'll see black communities or black families below the poverty line a lot more than white families. And that inevitably leads to crime. And so you'll see in these uh, black communities this like a greater crime rate and then over-policing, which mm-hmm. I think leads to these stereotypes or these racial profilings, which 
lead to police brutality or higher death rates for people for black people who are in uh, interact who are interacting with police um i forgot where i was going with this um oh yeah so there's so it causes over policing um and i yeah i guess it's just kind of that it's uh um it's just a difficult cycle to get out of um, mm-hmm. once you're in private right, in poverty or in less than ideal economic circumstances, then crime goes up and um, there's just more police interaction with these communities, which inevitably leads to um, unfairness or uh, profiling. Gotcha. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Or did you want me to expand on something else? No, like that. that's perfect. I feel like you explained it very clearly. Is that like as people are kind of pressed down economically where they can't make ends meet. Um, they're thrust into poverty, which leads to desperation. Desperation leads to crime and just creates this circle. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, still recovering from my COVID. <laughs> um, where and I feel like that could be said about a lot of communities, but the question is then, What's the solution? Is that how do we get these families out of out of poverty? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, since since there's so many different answers, and we've as as America have tried many different things, it's hard to peg an exact recipe. But like, I'm curious, what are your thoughts? How can we help these families in poverty get mm-hmm. out of it and get yeah yeah uh, for sure? So I think. Something that's always been super important to me is education. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think uh, getting, I guess, everyone on the same page or same level as far as education, extending the same opportunities, which I know there are tons of programs that offer scholarships and are um, trying to reach uh, people in the inner cities or maybe these disadvantaged communities. But I think there can be more um, that is done. and of course, as people become educated, they have more opportunities to pull themselves out of that uh, vicious cycle. Yeah, that's the, the main thing I think is education is a huge thing um, for me. And then obviously um, getting better economic opportunities. I can't speak to that quite as much um, mm-hmm. because, but I'm giving getting businesses going or getting these members of the communities into better uh, business opportunities is surely very important, but I can't expand a lot on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something else I had recently read was this idea of reparation um, Mm -hmm. and just paying back to these um, black Americans or African Americans just this debt that we kind of owe them or the U S basically owes them. I think similar to what we did or with the native Americans, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't know how effective that would be. Um, I don't know if just dumping money into these communities, like without any structure to it is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't know how seriously people are talking about it. It was just something I recently heard. Or read about. Yeah, that was uh, that was one thing that I've I actually really wanted to talk about is the reparations <laughs> because uh-huh. like you look at people who have 
who own slaves in the past and have had ancestors or have people nowadays have ancestors that own slaves, slaves, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be said that a lot of people who are wealthy, um, who have ancestors of slave owners, it it can be assumed that their wealth has been just passed down. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I can understand why some people ask for that money, right? I can mm-hmm. understand it. I'm, I'm personally not going to go out and advocate them losing their wealth. Um, mm-hmm. I, well, I shouldn't say it like that. Um, I, my concern really is like people like immigrants, right? Like my family, um, the majority of my family here, I should just back all the way up. My great, great grandfather immigrated from England in the eight, like the mid 1800s, um, mid to late 1800s. And then my, um, my, grandparents like my other side of the family they immigrated from croatia just before mm-hmm. world war one and so at what point does do we say okay this person owes reparations but this person doesn't where does like where would the money come from mm-hmm. and how much would we owe mm-hmm. yeah and that is really difficult i personally i feel like it would have to i feel like it'd be difficult to go to like different families in america and Mm -hmm. say okay you were slave owners and like you did this so we're going to take money from you specifically i feel like it would have to come from the government Mm -hmm. um which then it would be kind of a burden from everyone yeah Um, like everyone in the u.s would kind of bear that burden but we could specifically allocate a good amount of these funds to black communities um maybe not just get writing them a check but specifically to um, building up schools and programs and training officers, redesigning the like police task force, that type of thing Mm -hmm. um, is something that seems a little bit more, um, I don't know if logical is the right word, but um, it seems like a little bit of a better idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) like writing a blank check to, to people is, I feel like, I mean, it just goes back. You can feed a man if you, okay, if you, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me today? <laughs> um, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. It's a saying yeah. that everyone uses. And I feel like that's also very true about money. Like, like, I feel like college students that are taught to pay for their way and at least try and pay for their way. And to do their best to do everything financially independent from their parents mm-hmm. usually end up a lot better off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just because they have that um, ability to um, basically earn their own name, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then there are the people that get money and they do just fine. So an argument can be made there. But I feel like as Instead of just writing people a blank check and giving them money, I feel like if we repurpose the money and structure it to where, like you said, education is better, I feel like inner city schools can be so much better. I feel like we can do a lot on the training of teachers. I feel like we can do a lot on the training of police officers. Um, mm-hmm. There are great police officers. There are bad police officers. There's good teachers and there's bad teachers. Like That's just the fact of life. And as we insert more money into education and 
the police force and then make sure it's used in the training, then we have the ability to train good police officers that do their job right. And then they're checked up on. And then we also have the ability to hire good teachers and train them. And so mm-hmm. these inner city kids, um, black or white, don't have to ever worry about their next meals because they are working hard um, and earning their education to where they can get out, they can go and get a job and improve their own situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that personally, that would be my kind of thoughts on how to improve. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with it. And I think another thing is changing mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know how I would start to go about this, but kind of ending the racial profiling mm-hmm. of where I'm sure there are lots of cops who feel more threatened when they see a black man versus a white man. And mm-hmm. so they're more inclined to pull their gun um, if they think something might happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um and so figuring out a way how to get that out of our system. And I don't know if that would come through trainings or just as things get better uh, systemically, our mindset just tends to change culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't have a great solution or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even an offering of a solution for that. But just something else that popped into my mind that I think is very important yeah. in improvement. By racial profiling, you mean as, a, let's say going off of the ever used police officer um, <laughs> analogy let's say a police officer Sorry, sees <laughs> let's say a police officer sees a black man the racial profile you're talking about is assuming that that person is a criminal because of the color of their skin is that kind of mm-hmm. what you're talking about okay yeah for sure um to be honest i have no idea what the solution for that would be either <laughs> because i'm i'm always i've always lived or I should say, I've always believed that if you want something to happen, you just have to believe that it is going to happen and then work towards that goal, right? And that is directly applied to people. Let's say someone is being mistreated or like someone's a bad person and we automatically start to assume that that person's a bad person, though they will become a bad person. And the same can be said in the opposite way. Let's say... I'm the boss at a company and I believe all my workers work so hard and I treat them that way. I always compliment them on how hard they work. I always compliment them on their good job and I always treat them like they are a great worker. It's, I feel like that is a good way of helping people achieve what we hope them to achieve. And so I feel like as we continue to see cops as racist and as awful people, mm-hmm. um, it's really easy to see anything wrong with the police department and say, oh, it's because they're racist. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we change that tone and say, okay, all cops are great, but there are a few bad apples. Once a cop does something wrong, we're then able to say, look, all other cops are doing really well and doing really good at their job. But this cop mm-hmm. is terrible because he is racist. And he did this Mm -hmm. act out of spite for this African-American man. And then now we've created a culture where police officers, they go into the force thinking that everyone believes they're great and that they do good things. But also knowing that they'll be condemned if they do anything that's racist or contrary Mm -hmm. to what they're trained to do. 
I'm yeah. curious, am I making sense? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, you are making sense. Um, I think, I think the problem is a lot of the times though is like within the system because mm-hmm. I feel like most cops like don't believe that they are racist even if they engage in racial profiling. So I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. In my, I don't know if it's my, I don't think it's my hometown, but it's a, just a. a police department in northwest arkansas mm-hmm. um my dad was telling me about this because a woman at his work uh, her husband is a police officer gotcha. and she was telling my dad about okay so in his department they don't um i don't know if it's about raises or bonuses but it um they don't track tickets they track arrests and so if you're getting mm-hmm. to the end of the month and you don't have all the rests you're supposed to have or whatnot. These cops will start specifically like watching for Hispanics or blacks and looking to pull them over, looking for a reason to arrest or to at least get them to stop. And so they can run their, run their plates because it's more likely for a Hispanic or a black to have a criminal record or have an arrest warrant or something like that. Mm. Um, And so I don't know if that makes the person inherently racist, but the system in place makes it so they have more of a motivation to go after these individuals, these minorities, because mm-hmm. it helps them achieve what they're supposed to be achieving. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And to be honest, I hadn't, well, I mean, we always, where I'm from, we always joke about that because um, you get, for us, we get pulled over if we're going like two over the speed limit. And so we always joke, oh, cops have a ticket quota. Um, but, I mean, we looked into it and they don't. But it's oh. interesting that the the city in Arkansas would. And see, that, that sheds a completely different light on the situation, right? Where mm-hmm. people may not be acting out of their own personal racist intentions, but to kind of improve their own, I would say, the business of the police department, they mm-hmm. are... Yeah. For sure. Kind of playing the system in a way that um, could be detrimental to blacks and Hispanics because now they're using a stereotype that's just wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And they're using it for their advantage. And so that's interesting. <laughs> that's a little <laughs> terrible, too. It's not, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure we're like... Arkansas is not the only place that does it is the mm-hmm. problem. Like, And I hadn't even... Like, that's one of the only instances I've heard of. Mm-hmm. And so I don't go and say, oh, like, I don't hear of that very often. So it's probably not true. It's yeah. like, oh, I've only heard of this in my very, like, small circle. Mm-hmm. It's probably happening a lot more than I think it is, like, yeah. than I'm aware of. Yeah. I mean, this could be something that could be researched is that do police departments have these arrest quotas and what are they doing um, to, like, fill? Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, without any concrete evidence people aren't going to act, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, let's assume that these things are happening and it's not just in one town, it's in many towns across the United States. Would it be wise to take away those quotas to like make sure that there isn't a quota on arrest or tickets so that these groups aren't targeted? Um, Mm -hmm. And then the question would be is what would be the, the cons of taking away these quotas? So, like, maybe we can start off and talking about, like, the pros. What would be the pros of taking away quotas if they exist? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess to hit the obvious one is that you won't be racially profiling people mm-hmm. to reach the quotas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other relevant pros. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest one, right? It's like... Yeah. And, I mean, I I would say, like, another pro would be is that... Um, police officers would be more inclined to make the right arrest the first time instead of just making an arrest to get in for this mm-hmm. month and then getting a second arrest and kind of like double dipping, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like that that would be another reason is to make sure that we're going off the correct information, making sure the right people are jailed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, but on the flip side, it's um, a con would be if there isn't a quota – I, it sounds kind of bad to say, but it's really hard to be incentivized to catch people quickly, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it would be a lot easier for a cop to say, you know what, like, we don't have enough evidence, we just we just can't move, right? Uh-huh. And it could kind of de-incentivize acting and being proactive mm-hmm. in the job, um, which could also have pros and cons, I mean... It's just so complex that it's it's hard to make a good (laughs) judgment call on this. Yeah, I agree. And I think it really depends on, like, the community to the community. uh, Where, like, as you said earlier, if there's not really a problem in, like, one system, say, over, like, in North Carolina, um, then don't fix what's not broken. Uh But... Like, so don't be trying to fix racism where they're not racist Mm -hmm. versus if there is appearing to be a problem in some other community, taking a look at, okay, what quotas and motivations do we have? Uh, How can we change those so that we're still an efficient task force, but we aren't profiling and we're not disadvantaging these minorities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's a very good way to do it. And I have to say, the one thing that I have learned as I've looked into, like, um, police force, police brutality, and kind of the whole kind of movement is I've noticed that the people who have a lot of control over their police force are mayors. It's, it's kind of like in a city, mayors have a lot of control. Well, I wouldn't say a lot of control. They, um, they have an influence in the police department. Like I think it's mayors that appoint police chiefs. I'm, I may be wrong. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would be the people running the city that mm-hmm. would actually be able to influence it because they're very close to the police department. They work with the police department. And so I'm kind of wondering, would it be beneficial for citizens of that city to write to their mayor or to their city council and see what they're doing to make sure that these problems don't happen? Mm-hmm. Like to yeah, kind of great idea. I love that. <laughs> I, I think that would be actually really beneficial because then you can ask them like, okay, what's they like? You can educate yourself on what is going on in my city. I mean, mm-hmm. people have always joked about it. Like, hey, if you have a problem with your city, write a letter to your senator and try and figure <laughs> it out. But I feel like this is a very good way. Is that if you want to know how something is run, you ask the leader. And yeah. your governor is never going to respond to your email. I <laughs> <laughs> like this is a fact. Yeah, but like y- your mayor, maybe city council. I feel like those people mm-hmm. would be someone to meet and talk with. Um, yeah. And so I I wonder if that would be a good way to start the process of change instead of 
waiting on senators and representatives and the president mm-hmm. to change it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. I think it is going to be more like each community and city will be more influential in pushing this forward than the the federal government or the mm-hmm. state governments. Um and that's also where I think awareness is a really huge deal. Mm-hmm. As I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not affected by this. I'm not going to worry about it or think about it or talk about it or reach out to my mayor about it. <laughs> because it's not, it's not something that like, stops their life. It's not something that they've experienced. And so they don't worry. And, they, um, and so I think part of the importance of talking about Black Lives Matter is just saying, hey, like even though... I'm white and I'm not dealing with a lot of these uh, problems and disadvantages that uh, black Americans are. It's still important for me to, to support it and Mm -hmm. to, and to think about it and reach out to other people and see what they're doing to help. Um, So, yeah, I think one other way is just general awareness of Mm -hmm. the, the, the movement. Okay. And, this is kind of going on to another point is there have been a lot of people that have kind of kept from, uh, how do I word this? They kind of hold back their support for the Black Lives Matter movement because of the rioting and the protesting. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, they see the protest and they're like, okay, that's people exercising their First Amendment rights. That's totally okay. And I agree with what they're saying. But then you look on the other side where there's riots and cities are being burned down. And I mean, when you're having a riot about police brutality, I think most governors don't want to send in the police to (laughs) brutally break up the riot. Because, I mean, that would just, that would be kind of like, I'd be kind of sitting there in my office and I'm like, well... (laughs) What are we to do? They're saying that the police are brutal. And if we send in people to stop if the police to stop them, then there's going to be more cases of brutality. And it would it's just kind of a it's a lose lose situation, I feel like. Yes. And so, yeah, I feel like this is why a lot of people aren't openly supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And they're saying like all lives matter and stuff like that. What would you kind of say to those people and like what are your uh, let's just start. What would you say to those people who are kind of holding back from supporting mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, well, so I'd say, of course, all lives matter. Um, but what we're focusing on right now is bringing to light that black lives have not mattered as much in the past. And we're trying to mm-hmm. to stop that from happening, mm-hmm. uh, to stop them from being uh, killed unnecessarily or yeah, just unfairly. And so we're trying to shed more light on that. Mm-hmm. As far as p- protests and riots, um, obviously violence is really, um, really difficult. Um, but I have to say, I feel like I somewhat understand. If I were a member of the black community, I would be very, I think, far more upset about this. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing all these things happen just year after year after year. You have all of these names that people are chanting and remembering. Um, 
And so while I'm not, I don't think that riots and violence are right, I can understand why it's happening. And they're kind of hitting this breaking point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the solution is to not respond with, like, I don't know if disdain is the right word, but not respond with, okay, we have to quash these, like, rioters and we mm-hmm. have to put them back in their place because that's that's not going to solve any of the issues. Um we can't respond with inflammatory rhetoric or um, like being divisive. We need to be more, oh, I'm going to not say this word right, like to placate. We need to placate. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't <laughs> um, even know what that means. So. Oh, you just, you just have to, basically we have to extend a, like, like a hand and say, okay, we are like, we are going to change and we are going to help. Okay. Um, and that is going to be the way that we kind of move past this. Because if we continue, if people continue pushing back and saying, what you're doing is not okay, you can't be rioting and protest or rioting and stuff like that, and following that up with force, um, which I, I, I think we, they should be using the police to keep things safe, as safe mm-hmm. as they possibly can, obviously. Um, but if people respond with a, with a similarly violent attitude towards mm-hmm. the rioters, I think it'll just make matters worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we should focus on the peaceful protesters and what their message is and um, supporting them in that. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like when people go out and protest, they get a lot of attention and then that attention is often... Um, misviewed by both sides right Mm -hmm. um i mean because i've i've i i'm actually from some of the cities that have had riots and seeing that Mm -hmm. a lot of businesses get torn down and a lot of unjust like just the the lack of protection for these people and the lack of reparations for the people who got their businesses destroyed like that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of a bewilderment to me because i'm like okay but this movement's good like we should be trying to fight racism we should be trying to do this but these people who are just kind of going and just spreading wanton violence it's kind of ruining the cause Mm -hmm. of what it's and so i've while I haven't always advocated for like the Black Lives Matter movement and like the group Black Lives Matter, I've I've always been the first to say like, hey, if if there's racial injustice, I will stand with you and fight it mm-hmm. because that's what everyone's supposed to be doing, right? Is that it should be an expectation that when we see racism, we should speak up against it. Mm-hmm. And granted, we shouldn't jump to conclusions. Like if we see a police officer arresting a an African-American or a white person, we shouldn't go up and say, oh, it's because of the color of his skin. Like, it, mm-hmm. we should we should be able to adequately judge people based on the situation and knowledge given to us rather than the person, the color of someone's skin. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be advocating for fighting racism and we should not be rioting. We can, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, we should protest. Like, if there's injustice, we should protest. We should use our rights to make a change but i feel like rioting is not within what we're supposed to do right yeah yeah i agree and i i hope that people can look past some of the violence that is happening mm-hmm. to see that it is a good cause and for example i think i believe that 
during the suffrage movement, there were also violent riots by women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things got very violent, I think, both in England and America. And I'm really grateful that that cause <laughs> panned out well. Mm-hmm. Um, and people didn't say, oh, what are these women doing? They're so violent. We've got to like shut them down and not give them what they, they're asking for. Mm-hmm. So I hope that people are able to, while rioting obviously is not the best way or a good way in any way yeah. um, to be um, pushing this movement to not let that close you off or close yeah let that close people off to mm-hmm. um what the movement is trying to get done yeah kind of look less to the actions of the i would call them acolytes you know like uh-huh. the radical <laughs> acu- acolytes but actually look to the principles that are trying to be taught mm-hmm. um yeah. i would totally agree with you because i mean no one can contest the, sen- the statement black lives matter like mm-hmm. of course black lives matter like Human life matters. And so if someone is being oppressed, if someone is being um, looked down upon, I, I feel like it's, it is our responsibility to go and help them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I totally agree with you that people should look at the principles and not the, um, and not kind of the radical displays put out by, uh, I'm just going to call them the radical acolytes because <laughs> I mean... Most people in support of the movement are just normal people, right? And then there are the select few that decide to riot and loot and do terrible things. I mean, that's mm-hmm. in every group, right? Um, yeah. And so... It, and the terrible thing about that... Oh, sorry to cut you off. No the terrible worries. thing about that is these these rioters are tearing down the very communities that are already suffering. Yeah. Which is even worse. They're like going through and destroying businesses and homes and causing violence to these... These communities that are trying to move forward and, um, yeah, and to, yeah, basically, yeah, trying to move forward. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard, too, because now whose money is going to be used to rebuild those communities? Mm-hmm. Their own their own money. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's so terrible. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of where my... Um, my conflict resides, right, is that... I feel like it's really hard to enact change when people are being their own source of their destruction. Does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. Like um, the reason why poverty is such a difficult thing to change is sometimes people can't change their circumstances. Sometimes people won't change their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's... um, it's common knowledge that you have to to succeed in American lifestyle. You need to put in a lot of work and a lot of effort. Some people don't have to put in as much work because they have help from their parents or from other companies or from pre-existing benefits that they already have. Um, but there is some sort of work and effort required to succeed, right? And so there are some people that are literally unable, like mentally disabled people, people who have challenges in their communities to where there is no way for them to get out. Um, And then there are other people who just choose not to. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's very hard because a lot of people look from the outside and say, oh, that person is not trying. I shouldn't try and help them. Um, And to what extent do we do to help 
them get out of their situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, and I mean, it, it then translates over to the rioting, right? Is that you look at these communities, they've been impoverished or they're lower income, and then injustice happens, and then they get up and destroy their own community. Mm-hmm. Or they just they destroy their neighbor's good business, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden their neighbor has to pay more money to get it fixed, and then it just creates a greater cycle of oppression, basically. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I just kind of went on that rant because that's something that's <laughs> been on my mind is um, at what point do we try and help, like to what extent do we try and help people that don't want to be helped? Hmm. I guess I would respond is I I feel like the rioters are not the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they get the most attention because they're, they're, they're extreme <laughs> and they're violent. Yeah, and so everyone looks at them. But I I feel that most people um, who are peacefully protesting are wanting the change and are looking for a way out or looking um, to make something happen. Um, and... I think they have hope um, Mm -hmm. because they are out protesting and they are uh, taking a stand. And so, um, I'm not really sure what the question is. Uh, I mean, there really wasn't a question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I feel like most most protesters and most people behind the movement are not that radical. And so we shouldn't hesitate uh, to go help those communities because even though there are people who are undermining the cause through violence or riots or whatnot um it in the end if we are pushing to help these communities and kind of bring them up Mm -hmm. um everyone will benefit and there will be less rioting and less of these circumstances in the future Mm -hmm. i think that is very well put and we're pretty much running out of time but uh-huh. I I just want to kind of reiterate what you said is that everyone should be trying to fight racial injustice and working to help these communities that may not have the same benefits um, mm-hmm. as other communities. And we should always be striving to treat people equally with love and respect. Um, and everyone should be involved. It shouldn't just be mm-hmm. the protesters or the Black Lives Matter movement. It should mm-hmm. be everyone working hard to fight racial injustice. I'm... This has been actually really fun because I yeah. like, like I said, I've been waiting to talk to someone about this for a long time. Like this was basically what sparked the the interest in the podcast is the wow. I I know it, it was the I feel un- honored. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it is a big honor. Um not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> but it is um it is really important that people understand both sides, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're going to be really excited to see that next week, next episode is going to be on the other side. And oh, wow. Okay. I, I am very curious to hear what um, the comparison between the two, because I feel like we'll land mm-hmm. on pretty much the same points yeah. and the same conclusion that... There has been cases of racial injustice that more people need to be involved in trying to fix it and that everyone should just try their best to treat everyone with respect 
help communities that are suffering and to help civilization move forward as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> I think I think that's a huge thing is just communication and listening to other people and being empathetic instead of saying, oh, like they don't believe the same way, so they're a moron or something mm-hmm. like that because it totally closes you off to the other side. So, yeah, yeah. it'll be really interesting to hear what, the, uh, what next week's episode of the podcast is like i know i'm i'm really excited and i really appreciate your time thank you so much do you have any other thoughts that you want to share or anything anything else um let me think i wrote some notes just to keep my thoughts (laughs) clear but good good i think we we covered a lot of um what we wanted to talk about um but yeah i just I guess want to reiterate and say it's a I think it's a really important movement mm-hmm. and to be willing to talk to people to be open minded and um to try talk like I loved what you said about talking to the mayor or talking to your local leadership about what they're doing to kind of keep them um oh what's the word keep them honest uh, yeah keep them honest <laughs> keep them doing what they're supposed to be doing yeah um but yeah it's been a great time talking to you about this jake i really uh love this topic and um i find it really interesting and i'm excited about the movement that is happening in america because mm-hmm. i think it is we are kind of at a turning point mm-hmm. and as this movement gets more and more momentum we will start to see more and more change and things will take a turn for the better yeah i agree i feel like whenever there's a movement things usually work out the way they're supposed to um contrary to popular belief black lives matter is <laughs> not going to destroy america at least not right now <laughs> I mean, I'm totally kidding. no like I, I feel like it is a good movement and there are good people trying to do what's right and mm-hmm. I, i'm totally in support that i feel like more people should get involved Well, thank you again. If you have any more thoughts or have any other friends that are interested um, in talking about politics like this, like the Black Lives Matter movement or anything, police reform, um, just let me know. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank, Thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Other Side of the Table. Feel free to leave a comment, a review, and by all means, if you are interested in ever talking about any of the current issues, reach out to me at the other side of the table, PC at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to find a time to meet. And follow our Instagram and invite your friends. <laughs>